focusing on what we have what I've entitled, what we've been calling a dying man's manifesto. Jesus Christ is now just days away from his crucifixion. And he's in the private surrounding of his friends. His closest disciples have gathered for the Passover meal. And he institutes in John 13, though it's not recorded specifically in John, but in Luke's account, Matthew and Mark, we gain the insight that he instituted the Lord's Supper at this moment during his last teachings, his last discourse, which is contained in John 13 through John 16. And he focuses in on the fact that he loves his own and that he came as a servant to them. And he exemplifies that by washing the feet. He then moved to say to them, I'm leaving. And it causes no small stir, as you can imagine. They've walked with Jesus for three years. They've grown accustomed to his very presence with them physically, materially, in the body, in the flesh. They can't imagine life now without Christ. And so when they hear, I'm going away and you can't come with me, it unsettles them, as we talked about. At the end of John 13, Jesus and Peter are having this exchange that causes an uproar, which causes Jesus then to introduce John 14. Don't be worried and anxious. You believe in God, believe also in me. There is a place that I'm going to prepare for you. And if I prepare that place, I will come again and you will be with me. How did he prepare the place, remember? Not as the eternal carpenter building some rooms and mansions. How? On the cross. He prepared the way as the way, the truth, and the life. Going and dying. Opening up the passage to come and dwell with God. And then we moved on down into the chapter 14 with the question of Philip saying, just show us the Father and that's all we want. Jesus then gently rebukes the disciples, saying, I am the Father. I and the Father are one. You've seen me. You have seen the Father. And yet, we're one in three persons. The Trinity is on display. And so now we come to verse 15. And I want to introduce a series of messages, eight messages, entitled Comforting Words in a Trying Time, inside of a series of messages, A Dying Man's Manifesto, which is contained inside of a large series of messages on the Gospel of John. You kind of get a peek into an outline, don't you, that God laid out in the book, and, and you're getting my perspective on the outline. Admittedly, I'm not saying my 
outline is inspired. It's not. But I do believe it comes from John who gained it from the Spirit, from God Himself. And so we're getting down to, if you were looking at Roman numerals, you'd have Roman numeral 1 and then A, and then now we're down in subsection of A.1 through 8. The Holy Spirit is what we're going to talk about. In our modern context, there is tremendous confusion over the person and role of the Holy Spirit. Well, we were with the Ackers and the Haynes going to the uh, wedding uh, for Riley Smith yesterday. And we were kind of talking about this on the way back, Aaron and I. And I said, you know, we treat the Holy Spirit like Obi-Wan Kenobi saying to Luke, the force be with you. We're so Eastern in our thought about the Holy Spirit as if He's some vague, murky thing. You even hear us slip up and call Him it, don't you? It's with us. It. A thing? The Holy Spirit. It. No, He. But we got this Eastern religion, and it's, it's kind of in us. This New Age philosophy which flows out of Eastern mysticism. The Holy Spirit is this ethereal presence. He just hovers around. He's the afterglow, the feeling, that warm sensation which overcomes you in the moment of goodness. We have adopted so many of these bad philosophies. And true, it comes over in some ways in the church into the charismatic branch of Christianity. So, because we're not them, let's look at them for a minute, right? In their minds, you know you're scared of that, whatever that is. You evidence it every time you show up here. It's like pulling teeth to get you to get involved in a service. I ain't going to be charismatic, boy. Nobody's going to accuse me of getting in the Spirit. I mean, we're so hypersensitive, aren't we, about looking charismatic. We raise hands like this, you know. We're scared. And rightly so. There's some scary stuff going on in teaching of the Holy Spirit. I was telling... I'm not going to name the guy, but I was telling Aaron, you know, I'm studying on the Spirit, and then there's this guy on TV saying, get him, get him, get him, get him. I'm like, what? I mean, you know, this is voodoo, witchery. I mean, I mean, honestly, I think Paul and Peter would be flabbergasted. I even heard a guy mocking one of his own in a message. I was telling Aaron about it. It blew my mind. Like he's mimicking these guys that supposedly are speaking for God himself. And he's making fun of them. And he believes like they do. It ain't me making fun of them. He's making fun of them. Aaron said, so he used to believe in it, but he doesn't believe I said, no, he believes in it right now. Can you imagine the disciples mocking Peter behind his back? And how he healed a lame man. Can you imagine that? I cannot imagine that. Whatever was going on in the New Testament... In regard to the Holy Spirit anointing and blessing and moving in power on the church, wasn't being mocked by the other disciples. There was a lot of fear, 
a lot of reverence, a lot of holy hush about what he was doing. Not any of this, this antic that we get over the tube and in person sometimes. I mean, it's easy to see that's not what we want to be. Almost silly about the Spirit. But since we've looked at them and you've gotten a chuckle, they too would chuckle at us in our conservative dryness. They embrace the Spirit wrongly. We push Him away in fear of Him. Both are equally wrong. I think Paul and Peter would rebuke them for overstepping the bounds and they'd come rebuke us because we don't seem to believe there's a Holy Spirit that's active among us. And so there's enough to go around in this modern climate context in regard to the Holy Spirit and how messed up we've become in our thoughts about the Holy Spirit. We hope, or I hope, in this message series to bring some clarity through the words of Jesus Christ as to who the Spirit is and what He's doing in and among us and through us. Okay? I'm not going to clear it up. I think Jesus makes it abundantly clear. And we just need to let Him speak through His Word. J.I. Packer in his monumental work, Knowing God, says this in regard to the Holy Spirit. Christian people are not in doubt as to the work that Christ did. They know that Christ redeemed men by His atoning death, even if they differ among themselves as to what exactly that involved. But the average Christian is in a complete fog as to what work the Holy Spirit does. Some talk of the Spirit of Christ in the way that one would talk about the Spirit of Christmas. As a vague cultural pressure making for religiosity. Some think of the Spirit as inspiring the moral convictions of unbelievers like Gandhi or the theosophical mysticism of Steiner. But most, perhaps, do not think of the Holy Spirit at all. That's us. Let's just confess it. Most of us do not think ever about the Holy Spirit. It's as if He doesn't exist. And have no positive ideas of any sort about what He does. These people are, for practical purposes, in the same position as the disciples whom Paul met at Ephesus, who said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Spirit. Acts 9, verse 2. The problem dates way back, doesn't it? I mean, we're nine chapters in to the works of the Holy Spirit's book. The history of the work of the Holy Spirit through the disciples. And in chapter 9, right there it is, in verse 2, I don't even know if He exists. And these aren't non-believers, these are believers. The problem goes way back in our confusion about who the Holy Spirit is and what He's doing in and through us, the church. So let's look at what Jesus says. This mini-series is going to cover John 14, 15 through John 16, 15. There's a lot of topics in these, these, this section. All of them, I believe, can be placed under the, the topic of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see persecution talked about, teaching talked about, 
all bearing fruit talked about, but all of it in the context, I believe, of the Holy Spirit and what His role is in the church and among God's people. So let's get busy here in our text. I'm going to take it a little out of order to try to make it more plain and, and kind of hang together. First of all, in, we would say that the Holy Spirit is God. The first thing we would have to say is that the Holy Spirit is God. If you want to be orthodox, if you want to agree with Jesus Christ, you must confess that the third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. He is equal with Jesus as our helper. Look at verse 16. And I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper. The Greek word here, alas, is used meaning helper or, excuse me, another of the same kind. There are two words for another in the Greek language. This is important. I'm not trying to uh, get too deep for you here. Stay with me. This is very important. The other word for another means different kind. So John has available to him. Why do I tell you that? He has available to him a word which specifically says, would make Jesus say, and I will ask the Father and He will give you someone not like me to help you. But John didn't choose that word. He chose the word which says, I will send someone from the Father just like me. Of the same kind. Do you see the importance of that? The Holy Spirit in this statement is being said to be God Himself. God Himself. We often think in our minds, in a daily in our daily activity, oh, I wish Jesus were here. And John would say, because Jesus said, I am there. My Spirit is in you. My Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit is present. You see what's going on? We, by our practice, deny the third person of the Trinity. We may say, oh, I believe in the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We sound very orthodox. And you get us on the practical daily life of suffering, sickness, death, tragedy, tough times at work, struggles in a marriage. Oh, if Jesus would just come and tell me what to do. If Jesus would just come bring comfort. If Jesus would just... And the whole time Jesus is saying, one just like me is inside of you. I'm, I'm guilty of this. I'm not fussing at you. I'm saying I'm guilty of this. And you know what, we, what I think I'm really saying when I say that is even if Jesus were sitting right here, I wouldn't receive Him either. Think about that. If one just like Jesus lives in us and with us and we won't receive Him, somehow we think if He was sitting next to us on the sofa we would receive Him? Or would we like the Pharisees say, this guy sounds strange. 
It's very popular to talk about getting more of the Spirit. And I would just say, we ain't even accept what we have. Why are we asking for more? That's a statement about myself. Would you agree in your own life? I mean, being honest. I catch myself, even as I study, thinking these things, you know. Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus would have a cup of coffee with me? Trivializes the person of the Holy Spirit, who Jesus says is in you and He's with you. I will ask the Father, and He will send another, one just like me, and He'll be with you. He's God. The good news of the gospel, part of it is, is that God no longer dwells out there. But where does He dwell? In us, the church. The good news of the gospel is being spoken by Jesus Christ when He tells the lady at the well, the Samaritan lady, there comes a day and it's here when you won't go on that mountain to worship or on our mountain to worship, but you will worship the God of heaven in spirit and in truth. You won't have to take a Mecca journey to the Middle East to live in some holy surrounding and have the presence of God. That's what the people did in the Old Covenant, but you won't have to do it. God's going to come live in you. And He's going to be worshipped by spirit and truth right where you are. The beauty, part of the good news is when you're at your daily work, at your task, God is available to you. When you're getting sideways in an argument with your children and you're all kinds of wrong in sin and anger, you don't have to say, let's go to the temple and offer a sacrifice so God might... You can say, get on my knees right here and confess I'm a sinner. Oh God, forgive me. He's right there. It's not there. He's there. And all I'm saying is if you... And I won't accept that. We wouldn't accept the physical Christ either in reality or His counsel. And so He is God. He dwells with us. And not only with us, but in us. Jesus said, I will pray to the Father and He will send you one just like me to be your helper as the ESV translates it. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But look, secondly, under this point of Him being God, is He sent by the Father and Jesus. Look at what it says. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. And look what it's saying. It's not saying, I'll send a force, an impersonal being of some type, some thing, but I will send he the I will ask the Father and He will send a be a person, a real person. I mean, as we're looking at this text, it's really revolutionizing our thought. I hope, but I think it blew the disciples' doors off. Because they read in the Old Testament about how God dwelled in the Holy of Holies. 
And they read about the fact that God had the tabernacle constructed and in its inner core, the Spirit of God in a cloud dwelled over the altar. And now Jesus is saying, that God you read about, I'm going to pray and ask God himself and he will send him to be with you. Not to be in a place, but in you. I mean, it really changes my thought process to think that the Father and the Son have made a way that they will be with us. And then we say that He, the Holy Spirit, is shown to possess the attributes of God in Scripture. It's hard for me to believe you would miss the Holy Spirit, or I would miss the Holy Spirit, but we do it all the time. And yet He's there on the very first paragraph of Scripture. Genesis 1, verse 2. There was this Spirit hovering over the face of the dark deep. The breath of God in the Hebrew, the Spirit of God is there in the very beginning. He is in the creative act. As a matter of fact, the Father commissions the work. The Son speaks the work, and the Holy Spirit accomplishes what they commission and speak. The Holy Spirit is the active force, person, doing. He supplies the force to the command. He is the one who carries out the work of creation through the Son commissioned by the Father. He's right there in the beginning. He is the Creator. Job says He is. In Job 33. He says he's the creator. He's not only the creator, but he's seen to be like God in his personhood. He's everywhere. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. You remember those verses? Where can I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I go down into Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the furthest parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. No matter where I go, David says, your spirit is there. He's omnipresent. Not only is He omnipresent, but He's all-knowing. As a matter of fact, in John's teaching, we're going to see that He is the great teacher who tells, reminds us of everything that Jesus has taught in John 16. He knows all things. It's the Spirit of God which searches the hearts of men and knows them. In the scriptures, and in First Corinthians, we're told that we have the. We, excuse me, in Philippians chapter two, we're told we have the mind of Christ, which is the Word of God. But it's pushed to us, as we see in the rest of Scripture, it's revealed to us this mind of Christ by the Holy Spirit. He illumines us to know the mind of Christ. The Spirit is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He is all-powerful. All power has been given to Jesus in heaven on earth. And I'll never leave you or forsake you. How will I not leave you or forsake you? I'll leave my Spirit with you. He has all power. 
it is seen. In the church, the church becomes active and powerful when the Spirit Himself comes and dwells with them in Acts chapter 1. Wait on the Holy Spirit and then go be my witnesses. What is the Spirit doing? He is the power that emboldens the witness of the believer and strengthens the life. So He is shown to have the same character and the same activity as the rest of the Godhead in Scripture. He's referred to as a person of the Godhead. In this section, I mean, we've, we kind of close Him being God by saying the Spirit is referred to as God in the Bible. We're kind of left with no other choice. You can't go against what God has said in His own words. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Listen to how he closes the letter to the Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Paul, even in the closing of a letter, speaks of God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in Matthew 28, preparing to leave his disciples, says, Baptize those from all nations in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He is referred to, simply put, if you want to know how do we know He's God, because the Bible says He's God. He's not a sub-deity. He's equal with them in all respects. In His character, in His work, and even in His title, even in the way He's referred to. He is God. So then secondly, we see in this passage that the Holy Spirit is our advocate. That's the word translated in the ESV, helper. He's our advocate from Christ and the Father. In verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It sounds very much like He's saying, You go do it. Right? And if you just took it out of context, ripped it off the page, that's exactly what it would say. If you love me, then you're going to go obey. Sounds like I'm working to to show my love for Jesus Christ. I'm earning the right to say that I'm a part of God's family. But keep going in the verse. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I think verse 16 tells us how we're going to be able to keep the commandments. And I will pray to the Father and He will send one just like me to be your helper. That's why the ESV, I think, when they translated, put it here as helper. It also can be seen as a comforter. This word that we've got, the paraclete, the paraclete, the idea in the Greek could be comforter, helper. Mostly, though, it's used as advocate for a defendant in a court of law. And I think... Rightly, even here, he's the, our advocate before the Father. Just to tie these two points together, this same writer says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, that we have an advocate before the Father if we sin. And what, who is this advocate? In that context, who does John say our advocate is before the Father? Jesus Christ. Do you see the connection of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? We have an advocate, Jesus Christ. We have another advocate, just like Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. They're tied together, inseparable. 
He comes from the Father and Christ as our advocate, our helper, our comforter. He is our representative in the court of heaven. In verse 16, I believe there is here a clear teaching that it is the Spirit who goes before us to God. I think it's more clearly revealed in Romans chapter 8 when Paul says he prays things which we cannot even think or utter before the Father on our behalf. He goes before God for us. Don't go work real hard in your own strength. Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I'm going to send someone to be with you. He's just like me. And you will obey because of him. Jesus connects these two things. This is not a works sanctification teaching. He's not saying, go try harder, be a better Christian. He's saying, I'm going to supply everything I require. Here's the Holy Spirit. You will obey. And if you don't obey, I, I know he doesn't talk about disobedience, but I see it. Don't you see it? He calls him an advocate because he assumes our disobedience. You're going to need someone in the court of heaven to make appeal. I've sent him. He's there with you. He will be with you forever. Jesus says, I'm going away and you can't come with me. Panic strikes in the disciples' heart and he says, one just like me is coming and he will never leave you. So you will obey and when you fail, he will make your case before the Father. This is why I titled the sermon series Comforting Words in Trying Times. Because the reality is you came in here and I came in here and you heard the topic about the Holy Spirit and you got all wigged out thinking we were going to have either we are going to get some teaching about some vague force that's going to make us jump up and down and get slain and move around. Or you thought, I'm not even sure that exists. And when we thought that, we were in sin, and yet this one we've disrespected or misrepresented, whichever way you fall out in your personal life, was before the Father saying, I know they're failures, but remember your son. His blood is perfect. They're accepted because you accepted him. Don't we serve a merciful God? Don't we serve a magnificent Christ? who has supplied all we need. The Holy Spirit is not only our representative in the court of heaven. He will never leave us or forsake us. That's clear in the second half of 16. He will be with you forever. There's no other way to read that. I mean, it's just clear. It's here. And then he says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Clearly, Jesus is trying to comfort their fear. He's trying to alleviate their misunderstanding. I'm going away, but I'm not abandoning you. I'm sending one just like myself to be with you. Through the Spirit of God, Christ is in this place. 
He's very real. He's very present with us. And through the Spirit of God, as Ephesians chapter 2 says, we are in heaven, seated with Christ. The Spirit not only brings Christ's real presence to dwell with us, but He lifts the believer to the throne of heaven where we are seated with Christ. And so we no longer fear judgment and condemnation because He's with us. He's gone before us. He lives in us. I I don't know how else to uh, penetrate our hardened hearts and minds with this truth. I mean, it's just clear that He'll be with us forever and we will not be orphans because He comes to us. I don't discount the fact that not only is He coming in spiritual terms, but He's coming very, very quickly bodily. The second coming is in view here too. Jesus says, though you may look to be cut off from me, I'm coming again. But I don't think that's all. It's not as if he said, you're going to anticipate I'm coming. This is in the present tense. Jesus is not only coming in the future, but he is with us now in the Spirit. We have both the present and the future tenses in this passage. So that we never delay what God has given us already. Understand that. We're waiting on eternity in one sense, and yet eternity has dawned in our hearts already. It's now and not yet. There's a tension, isn't there? We are with Christ, but we're not yet with Christ fully. We are saved and we are being saved. We are sanctified positionally, seated with Christ, but we are being sanctified. And the same way, the Spirit is with us forever. And Jesus is coming again. He's here and He will be there. We're surrounded with these comforting thoughts and words. He will cause us, the Spirit will cause us to live forever. Because Christ lives. Yet a little while, verse 19, and the world will see me no more in reference to His death, but you will see me. How are we going to see you and nobody else see you? Jesus is speaking of spiritual eyes. They can't see what my sacrifice is, but the Spirit will make you able to see what they cannot see. The Holy Spirit will cause believers to see and obey Christ. And so we bridge over into this idea of what He's actually doing. We've determined He is God and that He is Christ with us. He is with us, the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit will also cause believers to see and obey Christ. Jesus will come to us through His Spirit, verse 18 says. There's no sadder place that I've ever been than the orphanage. A couple hundred children sitting around, fatherless. In one sense, they don't really know how bad they have it because they've never known anything but their fatherless condition. But in another very real sense, they cry out for what they've never had, a relationship with a family. 
It only takes you walking in there for them to begin to want what they don't have. They're orphaned. And they know they're orphaned. Physically, when you go in an orphanage and you sit and view the children, they look like they're fine. They commune with one another and they... On the exterior, they've got their own system and the way they survive, and they're in the world working it out. Fatherless, no family, but they're, they're surviving. And then you introduce yourself into the room. You're not, no longer looking at them through a one-way mirror, but you walk in the room, and immediately everything that you couldn't see comes to the surface. What you couldn't see when you weren't there is that they were lonely. They felt really abandoned. And they might not even be able to express their desire, but they want a family. And all you have to do is walk from behind the mirror out into the room and let them see you, and they will automatically cling to you. They begin to cry out for attention from you. Jesus is drawing on this very real condition known as being an orphan. They understood it. And he's saying, I'm not going to leave you this way. You're not going to be in this environment where you try to do it all on your own, work it out, make a system for yourself to survive. I'm going to come to you. The Spirit is how He comes to us. I'm saying He's with us now, Jesus Christ. So therefore, we're not having to sit on the sofa at the death of our child and say, I wish Jesus would be here. We're able to say, Thank God He is here. We're not out there in the world saying, I've got to fix all my problems through my own world system. That's what we used to do before we came to Christ. But now that we have Christ, He has fixed us. And He is with us showing us how to obey and giving us the power needed to obey. He's not at a distance saying, do what I tell you to do. Like the women in the orphanage who oversee the kids. Do this, do that. That's not our God. Our God is saying, I've done it. Now come walk with me. And let me show you how to love me. Very real idea here. Practical. The Spirit... It came to me this week as I was reading this passage about orphans and then Him coming to us. The Spirit of God loves Jesus Christ and loves the Father, right? We don't know how to love Jesus Christ. That's our problem. And we don't know how to love God the Father. We're His enemy. And Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you hating me and an enemy of my Father. I'm going to come to you. You must be born from above, John chapter 3. How can I be born again, Nicodemus says? Not by the flesh, by the Spirit. So what does God do? He says, you must love me. You must believe in me. You must obey me. But he's not standing up here like the orphanage director saying, do this, do that, do this. What is he doing? He's coming in a very real way through the Spirit in us making us alive, opening our dead eyes and blind eyes, and showing us how to love Him. Better said, the Spirit is loving Christ in us. 
We are caught up in a love fest between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so he cries out, Abba, Father. You wouldn't cry out, Abba, Father. I wouldn't cry out, Abba, Father. We would only see him as that orphanage director. Do this, do that from Mount Sinai. But we're not at Mount Sinai. We're at Mount Zion. And the Spirit is saying, that's your daddy. God is loving himself through us and accepting us in himself so that we love him and we obey him. Everything God requires, he has supplied. So then I ask this question in close. Why then do I, because I know you don't do this, why then do I spend my life looking at merit and failure? I did good, I did bad. Why can I not say, He's with me. Why can I not say everything God wanted from me, He gave to me. I'm not trying to be accepted. I'm accepted. I'm not trying to have a relationship with God. I have a relationship with God. I'm not hoping one day Jesus will come. Jesus has come. I'm not searching for what He might could do through me. He is working His work through me. I don't rest in that very well. Do you? And yet that's the promise of Jesus here. That the Holy Spirit causes us to see and obey Christ. The Holy Spirit causes believers to love Christ. Verse 21, in close. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. And here's the key. You say, where's the Spirit in that? And manifest myself to him. How will Jesus manifest himself right now? I'm sending one like me so that you're not orphans in the world. I'll be with you. The Spirit is how He manifests Himself now. And so we close this message, I think, rightly, and we will close it rightly, by singing a song of praise. It comes from Revelation about the Lamb who's seated on the throne. I don't want you, when you're singing this song, the team, music team can come on up, I don't, I don't want you to really concentrate on this scene that Revelation gives us as a courtroom. Though it is that, I want you to see it through the eyes of the one who is there with us, the Spirit. I don't want you to see it as, I'm scared to death to come to God. I want you to see it as, There's a joy in coming to God. I don't want you to feel separated as if He's lording down over you Sinai and the commandments, but rather that He has supplied all that you need. 
All that he has required, he has supplied. And I'm going to ask, they may, and I'm not going to say you can't sing, but I just wish you would just think about what we've talked through here in the Scripture and think about the words here. And then if, if that moves you to praise and sing, great. If not, just listen and think and contemplate deeply that he is with us. He is with us even now. Dave, would you close? And this will be the close of our service. Would you just close us with song here?